Hello, I'm Wimala, and today is August 2nd, and we'll be meditating today. Oops, something. We'll be meditating together today, but also reading from the last section in Sylvia Borstein's book. I know it's backwards. Pay attention for goodness sake. We've just been reading the first of the chapters and the last, so I really recommend this book because the stories in between that we haven't read, um, that's, it's, it's, really, it's really a worthwhile book. And you won't forget the uh, Ten Paramitas, or the Ten Perfections, after you've read the book and the stories that she tells and the ant anecdotes. and anecdotes, and um, these qualities, these ten qualities that we can all develop, that we're all capable of developing. It's a really worthwhile uh, book to help, to help you really see how to incorporate them into your daily life. She has meditations and then da a daily practice for each quality and uh, lots of good stories and lots of discussions about how different people, how she, how she perceives these qualities. So let's read and do the last section and then we can sit together after that. So today the quality is equanimity. It's the very last of the 10 perfections. It's maybe the hardest to to uh, really master. It's that complete balance, uh, not going to either any extreme emotionally, uh, not getting, really not getting caught up in our stories or in the drama or um, I'm watching the now feral cat outside and it just leaped at something, but it I don't think it leaps at the squirrels or the chipmunks. I think it may have just leaped for something that it thought was food. Hmm. Sorry. Uh, equanimity, and here's the quote. Go forth and teach the truth in the idiom of the people for the happiness of many out of compassion for the world. That's from the suttas, the Buddha speaking. So here's the beginning of the chapter where she uh, describes in sentence form her, her uh, table, her chart she created. To perfect my equanimity, I need to accept every experience into my awareness. I cannot refuse to pay attention. Refusing itself, the mind tensing in withdrawal is suffering and turning the mind away, refusing to look, would preclude complete and clear seeing. When my mind greets all moments with equal respect, it maintains stature enough to see that causal connections set every experience into its lawful time and place, that everything is always heart, uh, that everything is always breathtakingly the only way that it can be. 
my heart resting in equanimity can respond with com compassion. Everything is always the only way it can be. My heart resting in equanimity can respond with compassion. So it's letting go of all of our reactions to things and really letting, uh, letting this, this concept, this truth about reality soak in enough that we can become someone who responds to situation, not reacts to them. And when we respond, our actions are uh, in compassion. Equanimity meditation. So let's do this the way we did uh, yesterday. Let's put the meditation here right now, and we'll do it in the middle of our reading. So this, she puts it right at the beginning of the chapter. So let's let's practice it now. So you can sit in your meditation posture the way you're comfortable, but feel awake. So you can be on your back on the floor, but don't become drowsy. Don't think of it. Or you can be in bed if that's if you're uh, if you're sick or if you're still in bed and you're just enjoying the moments before you get up. Don't let yourself get sleepy and fall back to sleep. Okay, change your posture if you start to. This is only going to be about ten minutes. I'll read this section and that will be our instructions and then we'll sit when we can, when we, I'll create pauses for us to just sit. I sometimes taught equanimity meditation by reminding students of the long gone TV audience participation program, Sing Along with Mitch. People in the TV studio and presumably people at home in their living rooms watched and listened as a band at center stage, led by accordionist and conductor Mitch Muller, played the melodies of popular songs. The lyrics were projected on the screen as subtitles, and a bouncing ball icon moved from word to word so that participants hearing a song for the first time could keep pace with the experience and feel part of it. I remember that show well. I describe the TV program and then I say, equanimity meditation is just like that. It's the practice of keeping up, staying in tune with what's happening and staying balanced. Even, maybe even especially when you are in unfamiliar territory. I like to say that even songs with unusual, unanticipated key changes or words with obscure meanings have harmonies that the composer understands with beginnings and ends that are connected in a pattern. They aren't random. I say equanimity meditation instructions this way. Now we'll begin with her direct instructions. Sit comfortably, close your eyes, now, meet each arriving moment, 
Each breath or each mood, each thought or each idea as the next word of the song that needs to get sung. You can choose what line of the score to sing. Breath, mood, thought, idea, and still hear the others in the background. If you relax, you'll be able to say, now this, and now this, and well, this is a surprise, but look, I can manage this too, and just in time to be here for this next experience now arriving. You don't need to anticipate. If you fumble a moment, let it go. Sight read the music. Just do now, now. Sit as long as you like. This is equanimity meditation. It's also mindfulness. So let's just sit. Everything arises, just fit into the song. Meet each arriving moment, each breath or each mood, each thought or each idea as the next word of the song that needs to get sung. can choose what line of the score to sing. Breath, mood, thought, idea, and still hear the others in the background. If you relax, you'll be able to say, now this, now this, and even, well, this is a surprise, but look, I can manage this too. And just in time to be here for the next experience, now arriving.
You don't need to anticipate what may arise during the meditation. If you fumble for a moment, just let it go. We're sight reading the music. Just do now, now. Meet each arriving moment, each breath, each mood, each thought, or each idea as the next word of the song that needs to get sung. If you relax, you'll be able to say, now this, and now this, Well, this is a surprise, but look, I can manage this too. And just in time to be here for this next experience, now arriving. when you're ready, just open your eyes. Try to remember some of the phrases for this meditation. I think it's a beautiful meditation. It is being mindful, but it's also, I think it adds something to that. Just reminding us to meet each arriving moment, 
is the next word of the song that needs to be sung. This is equanimity meditation. It's also mindfulness. So let's read a little bit more from this chapter. read a little bit before we get to the uh, the everyday equanimity practice I want to read another a little bit more from this chapter everything happens to everybody it is my custom one I learned from my teachers to end mindfulness retreats with a formal recitation of prayers for the well-being of all beings and a formal dedication of merit that's a declaration of intent to offer our own well-being on behalf of others. They are lovely to say, may all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings come to the end of suffering. May whatever merit we accrue from our practice and study together be offered freely and shared with all inhabitants of the earth. May all beings come to the end of suffering. Over the years of my practice, it has become increasingly clear to me that those closing forms are very much more than ringing the final bell or stacking the mats and zafus or thanking the people who've been sitting next to you for being such staunch supporters. They are faith expressions. The summary response to the questions, what are you doing? How do you do it? Why do you do it? And is it working? We practice to arrive at the heart space of peace in which the well-being of others is as dear as our own, where loving kindness and compassion and empathic joy Maybe she, I think the, the word empathetic joy makes more sense. Empathic, empathic or empathetic or spontaneous. That's that joy for the joy of others. I want to read this paragraph again. We practice to arrive at that heart space of peace in which the well-being of others is as dear as our own, where loving-kindness and compassion and empathetic joy are spontaneous, saying the ritual phrases, not because it is the time to say them, but because we feel like saying them and experiencing the happiness, indeed the freedom, that inspires that feeling. that means it is working. Given enough space, support, and encouragement, the heart calms down and wakes up all by itself. At Spirit Rock, at the Wednesday morning class, we begin with brief meditation instructions 
and then we sit quietly for 40 minutes. I usually have a sense of how much time has passed without looking at my watch. I'll notice after a while how much pleasure I feel in my body from how still the room has become. Or I'll notice how some small issue of the day that had been gathering up steam to become a problem before I began to sit has become just a thought, something I know I'll take care of easily. Or I'll notice that a substantial pain in my life, a worry that I brought with me and about which I had thought, I am distracted and upset. How can I lead this class today? Has developed some breathing space around it. And my attention, no longer held hostage by fear, is free. On the simplest of days, the signal that we've set long enough is feeling enormously grateful for a room full of companions who want to share this journey. The confirming sign for me, whatever the particulars of any given day, is that, that my heart has settled back down into itself, is that I realize I am thinking about other people and wishing them well. On some Wednesdays, we just sit quietly until I ring the bell. Sometimes I say, it's almost time to ring the bell. So if you are planning for some metta time for well-wishing prayers for the people in your life, you might want to do that in these next minutes of silence together. And sometimes I mention a name out loud. I might, for example, say in these last few minutes before I ring the bell, I am thinking about my friend, Alan, and I hope you will send wishes for healing for him in your thoughts as well. And I invite you to say out loud the names of the people in your heart and their special circumstances so we can join our prayers with yours. I really like that. People sit still, eyes closed, and begin after only the briefest of pauses, to speak names and situations into the room. I am thinking of my, these are her examples, I am thinking of my mother, Eloise, who has macular degeneration. I am thinking of my daughter, Carol, who just had a second miscarriage. I am thinking of my brother, Frank, who has lung cancer. My Aunt Laura with emphysema. My son, John, just diagnosed bipolar. <clears throat> My neighbor, Virginia, whose daughter died in a car accident last Sunday on her way back to college. I don't call on people to speak in random order from different parts of the rooms, of the room, voices, speak names, relationships, and special circumstances. Sometimes I recognize a voice or a name, more often not. Sometimes the petitions go on for what seems a very long time. I think no one feels rushed because we've been sitting quietly so long. I think we also share the sense that the mentioning and the listening is the prayer so that there is no hurry to get finished, no place else to go. After a while, Given names seem to fade away. 
my grandson who has ADD, my sister who has breast cancer, my friend with depression, my niece who is anorexic. At some point the room becomes quiet again and we sit a while longer. I say a blessing for all the people we've mentioned and for all people suffering everywhere and I ring the bell. It often happens then that we just sit there and look at each other for a while. It feels as if it requires some moments of looking at each other, perhaps taking some fortifying long breaths in and out before we say, okay, let's talk about it. And then they, can, they sometimes will talk about it, how they feel with all of that. And a lot of times she will, uh, a lot of times the situations may be, uh, they're positive ones. Some days she said it's, it's mostly positive, but other, you know, other days it's mixed. Some days it's all maybe about things that are difficult. It does sooner or later in permutations or combinations of sorrow and joy. And this is, she's saying, someone will say, look, everything happens to everybody. And her response is, it does sooner or later in permutations or combinations of sorrow and joy that come with this life, these parents, this body, these opportunities. The traditional Buddhist equanimity meditation, all individuals are heir to their own karma, serves me as a mind steadier, a reminder that everything that is happening is a result of an incredible complexity of conditioning causes. In fact, of everything that ever happened and that it is happening to everyone collectively the legacy of a lawful cosmos in which praise and blame are irrelevant and thanksgiving and passion and compassion are all that makes sense. So here's her everyday practice now for equanimity. Only connect. This is the everyday equanimity practice. E.M. Forster said it in a passage to India only connect. It's the fundamental instruction for equanimity, spaciousness of mind wide enough to balance life. I love that. Wide enough, spaciousness of mind wide enough to balance life. It's a great definition. It's also the instruction for mindfulness, awaken connection to the moment focused, balanced attention with all its resources of perception, memory, recognition, reflection, and decision open to wisdom and capable of response. It's the essential instruction for being meaningfully and wholeheartedly engaged in the world. On my desk, I have a tiny framed photo of my father 
with his arm around me, standing next to a telescope at which is clearly a highway pull-off and vista point. The note on the back of the photo reads, Lookout Mountain, Wyndham, New York, July 13, 1939. So I am three years old. I know that he and I stood at many similar viewing scopes during my childhood. So I assume that my memory of his instructions, of his instruction for seeing clearly, is a conflated one. I remember it as, look with both eyes, Sylvia, keep them open, and stand in front of the two lenses, right here. Otherwise, you won't see clearly. Maybe this was the most important part. Look now, my father would say, because we'll have to leave soon and you'll have missed it. Here is the instruction. Only connect. Wherever you are, right now, pay attention forever. Only connect. So our time is up. There is an epilogue. I may read the epilogue when we get together next. I love this book. I, I hate to be finished with it because I just love her inspiration. So thank you everyone. And I will be here on Thursday. Ah, what is it? Uh, yeah, there's a phrase. If the creek, if the creek don't rise, Lord willing, and the creek don't. If the creek don't rise, with all the flooding in Kentucky, I can guess where that uh, expression came from in the South years ago. Their creeks are still rising. So uh, may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit and compassion of all beings everywhere throughout the universe. Thank you, and hopefully I'll see you again Thursday. Thanks, Eva. And I had to ask people if you notice interruptions and breaks in the in the uh, live broadcast, let me know. Thanks, Eva. You said you noticed there were a few very brief. We're trying to, with Mary Jane Piper's help, we're trying to get this fixed, or at least find out what's causing it. <laughs> so thank you. That's helpful information. Bye, everyone.